orgasmic enlightenment, where the sexual and spiritual come together. I'm Kimanami, and I'm a holistic sex and relationship coach and a vaginal weightlifter. In this show, we explore all things intimate. I believe that our sexual energy is life force, creative energy, and we can use it to shape our worlds, strengthen our relationships, and self-actualize. I blend the most avant-garde information from neuroscience, ancient sexual practices like Tantra and Taoism, to renegade wellness modalities to show you how to create gourmet sex in your lives. Come one, come all. From fighting to fucking. If you aren't fucking enough or fucking well, you are going to be fighting. I guarantee it. It's an irrefutable law of nature. If thou dost not fucketh enough, thou dost will be very angry and mean. Whether you're in a relationship where the sex is infrequent or subpar and you're bickering and testy with each other, or if you're single and you create opportunities to yell at shop clerks and road rage at someone for not going fast enough on their way to the stoplight, all of this is misdirected sexual energy, nothing more. No one who is truly well-fucked has excess vitriol in them to lash out at other people because it's all been fucked out of them. The way a wild, torrential, tropical storm comes in and washes away all the impurities, leaving the air clean and thick and sensual in its wake. This is the energy you carry when you are well-fucked. You flow and you glow. These people are too busy floating through life, showering love and kindness on everyone they meet because their cup runneth over. Specifically, their fluids and ejaculate are gushing out of them and raining juiciness, wit, and joy upon the world. Do well-fucked couples even fight, you might ask? only if they've dropped off in their fucking. Many a couple has shared with me that if they miss a beat in their sexual practices, let's say a day or two goes by without them having sex, they will get bristly with each other. And then, because they've been trained in the anami way of the well-fucked life, they quickly figure it out. Oh, we haven't had sex since last night. That's why we're getting irritated with each other. And they get right on top of that problem and sort it out. Your gourmet sex life has the ability to alchemize and evaporate your day-to-day challenges and issues. That's what it's there for as the ultimate receptacle for you to transform, heal, and rejuvenate each other. If you aren't using this container for what it's meant to be used for, then all of that pent-up energy has to go somewhere, and it will go everywhere. Like a giant shitstorm volcano, it will erupt all over each other, your children, your work colleagues, on strangers, anywhere it can get some kind of mutated expression, when really all it wants to do is fuck each other senseless. Senseless meaning your mind gets out of the way and you begin to operate from a much more intuitive, in-tune flow. 
in the zone and that becomes your new life. Your bed, your intimate connection was meant to be your sanctuary, recharging and recalibration station. You tap back into that divine flow of the universe every time you make love, at least in a conscious Anami style way. It's the same reason why people fall in love with surfing and they rearrange their lives to be able to surf every day, like me. When you catch a few great waves and you align yourself and fill yourself with the life force source energy of the universe, you realize how it feeds you. And then you find ways to prioritize connecting with it. So what gets in the way of that? We do. There are a myriad of ways in which we block our own flow. Fear, resistance, not knowing what we don't know, unhealed trauma, programming. Getting to the place of living in the zone, in your sexual zone of flow, means being willing to dive in and deal with whatever barriers that you've placed or have been superimposed upon you that may inhibit that flow. In today's all-star interview, we are talking with Premila and David. Premila did the Well-Fucked Woman Salon, and then her partner, David, did Sexual Mastery for Men, and she's just wrapping up vaginal kung fu right now. At the start of the VKF Salon, in one of our first group calls, Premila called in to ask a very serious question. Kim, I am wet all the time. I am soaking through panties and leaving puddles everywhere. So wet, so troublesome. Such is the plight of the well-fucked woman and couple, needing my expert guidance on how to deal with all of the gushing fluids. After our conversation, the group came up with the hashtag, be like Pramila. She was inspiration for everyone, and now she's going to inspire you. This story is even more preposterous when you hear where she came from and what she overcame to get there. In this episode, we talk about Pramila's history of severe sexual abuse and her journey to become a well-fucked all-star, how the both of them went from fighting to fucking and barely having sex in two years to now having it three to four times a day. Fight, flight, and freeze as responses to unhealed trauma. Our Lady of Perpetual Wetness. Buying special towels for all of the squirting ejaculate. Both needing to work out to stay fitter for all of the fucking. And Premila having the full range of orgasmopedia in her repertoire. G-spot orgasms for lunch, and then later on, cervical orgasms for dinner and a bedtime snack. (laughs) And how they are manifesting their dream lives from all of the amazing fucking that they are doing. Well fucked all-stars. All right. Welcome, David and Pramila. It's so great to have you here. And we're so excited to hear about your adventures in Well Fucked, in the Well Fucked universe. (laughs) Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us both. So tell us about where you were in your relationship prior to embarking on this journey. And then, yeah, what happened? But start with where you were. How were things for you? And what even prompted you to think, hmm, this is something I'd like to do some work on? Um, and feel where, free to jump well, in, either of you. Yeah. Where was I? Well, um, our relationship was on the brink of absolutely going sideways um, and apart. Uh, We fought a lot. 
we've been we fought a lot over the years. We've been married for um, 13 years. <laughs> we've been married for 13 years. We've had a lot of upheaval to go through. I didn't realize in that time frame. I knew I'd been sexually abused. Um, I remembered in my early 30s, but I didn't remember the details. And over the course of our relationship, things got to a point where I, I shut the door on anything sensual, sexual, intimate, completely to the point where I think we went two years without having sex. Yeah. Mm. Well, it was forced. Yeah. It, it, it's not that we weren't having sex. It just wasn't, there was no spark. There was no fire. It was kind of like a man who's the desperate simp who just tries to get what he can and, mm. yeah, and then yeah. he's disappointed and unsatisfied with it because it's not fulfilling and he's not, I, I wasn't feeling loved and she wasn't able to express herself in any way, shape or form. It was, it was, it wasn't constructive. It didn't really bring us together at all. So, Pramila, would you say that was more of like obligatory sex or were you actually feeling yeah. like you wanted to but you just couldn't, yeah, find it in yourself? No, I tried, but it was more like um, I'm married to this man. I do care for him, but I really didn't know how to express that. And every time he touched me, I would just shut down. My whole body would shut down. Um, everything about it just made me feel filthy. Um, the words that ran through my mind. I just was dirty. I was always dirty. I needed everything clean. I've been diagnosed in the past with being having OCD. I have been diagnosed with being having PTSD, manic depression, the whole works of it. It's just ridiculous. And, you know, we tried. They, the, the, the doctors tried to put that all um, in Australia. They tried to put it all onto your uh, data, and I refused the health 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 system and I refused I said no um, I didn't want to be labeled and put in a box but I definitely suffered from PTSD and was definitely triggered like little things and I would just go into a state and I would be lost completely I'd have fits um, and I lack of a better way of putting it I'd throw a massive tantrum um, which could really be quite violent in so many ways as well. Violent in my, to myself, violent to him. It was I had um had no I had no comprehension of what was occurring in my body at all. And I'm I'm trained scientifically, you know, and I'm, I'm trained scientifically. I'm a, I have done work in that field, and yet all I felt was this overwhelming sense of shame and guilt and betrayal. And I couldn't even put words to that. And I didn't even know why until I remembered every detail of what had happened. And then all I wanted to do was commit myself into an institution, be drugged and fall asleep and never wake up. That was really what I wanted more than anything else, to which I got told that the only way to get into the institution was to try to commit suicide. <laughs> That's like. Uh, wow, okay. So um, it has been an uphill battle in trying to regain some level of control back in my life and understanding and bringing some love. And I know David's been, well, he was always going on about 
um, Kimonami, you should need to do Kimonami. You should <laughs> for over eight years. He has done that. He's gone, listen to this podcast, listen to this, listen. I was like, no, she says too many F words. I can't listen to that. It's not right. I don't like it. Doesn't well, she just doesn't? Australia? You're in Australia. How are you not used to that by now? No, she just was a prude and there was so much judgment and so much shame and make wrong. She couldn't even say sex. It would be like, hey, do you want to have sex? She would go to swear and there would be this apprehension and this pause and this drop of tone and volume would just plummet. <laughs> and there was so much restriction. So she was like in an internal prison. And it's been a very uh, tumultuous, would that be the right word, a very, a lot of upheaval in the unveiling of all of this. Like initially I would say, like when people first get together and you have that honeymoon phase, it was wonderful. And as as things were discovered and uncovered, it just, it progressively got worse and worse and worse and we went to different sorts of therapists I remember there was a I think the title was it was a sexologist and I said you need to go and talk to somebody she goes you go I'm like all right I'll go <laughs> and eventually she came and and there was benefit from it but um talking about things only gets you so far and the circles that, that I moved in, there happened to be other people who do, who some ladies who do stuff along the same lines as yourself and we were in communication with them and it just didn't click for Premila. And I think I'd all but just as much as I wanted her to participate in your work, I had kind of just let go. And the day that she, she uh, registered in the program, there was no prompting for it. And I was, and she said, oh, I just registered in this. I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I was just so resigned. Yeah. And, and it's not to say that things, like she was saying, that the, the, the relationship was going sideways. I guess it was because it was like it was at a plateau. It was at a, at a, it was just in stagnation. And after she started, I remember. <laughs> I don't know what week it was in, but we were in this house temporarily. We're in the process of moving and um, the office was just this big open area and I walk past and I hear her talking to a bunch of ladies about dildos and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and um, for someone who won't say the word sex or drop an F-bomb and now is like, what the hell? Well, this is new. Let's just roll with that. And... Um, and then things just started to dramatically shift and there was no need really for talking unless it was in in hindsight. Like this work, that didn't work. I really like this. I didn't like this. Um, I would like to go this direction. And for what I would understand as being a normal, healthy relationship, it just started to move in that direction and it's like, oh, my God, this is how it's supposed to be all the time and this is just the beginning. Mm. And we even, like, we've moved we've moved now and we, we find ourselves in some 
precarious circumstances with regards to potential flooding and a lot of a lot of other issues that typically would have us at each other's throats but we are at each other's throats but in a different way it doesn't seem to have phased us anywhere near as much as it would it's not to say that it still doesn't stress us out and make us anxious but there's always room put aside for love like we don't have we don't do a monthly thing we don't do a weekly thing that's structured really but we nearly do a daily thing so I would say there is some degree of structure taking place and it's it's amazing it's just a different world it's a different reality that's wonderful to hear so Pamela what was the impetus that had you finally sign up for the salon because it sounds like you did it without even letting David know that you were doing it and suddenly you're talking about cocks and dildos and dicks cock sucking and whatever and you know and he's like this is fucking great but like what what was the fight like the push that to, you know brought you over the edge to committing and doing it uh, so David okay so David actually um let me take two steps back here um, COVID took place, obviously, and it shut so much down and David stopped working. So David's a remedial um, bone therapist and he does all that. He stopped working in that field because he said he's not going down there. That's not happening and he wasn't interested um, in the whole conversation around is pro or anti or any of that. It's just people were just going a bit crazy where we were, everywhere in, in New South Wales. but. So he pulled back and we started seeing the ridiculous mandates and people trying to force things. So he was down the, he went down the route of, um, and this is an odd one, but he went down the route of law, looking at the legislation. Now, my background is as an environmental consultant and doing legislations and listening to all of that and having to converse with counsel. I, um, I was listening very clearly to what he was talking about, which was law and not legal. And he started this conversation. He did this course. He started running these programs himself. And in the program, the individual who is his mentor brings up the conversation about the distinction of man and woman versus being in the world of person, which is the dead and the legal. And so... I did the course, I did his course, and I got, I'm a woman, first, the first point, that for the first thing was, was like a big shift, I'm a woman, it was like, oh my god, it's like, I know I have this physical body as a woman, and I have attributes, but I've never actually gotten what it was to be a woman till I did that one, till I did his course, and then after doing that course, and it's flung back to back, Kim, did this, it was almost like this light bulb moment. And then I was, we were in another course we were, we were involved with, which had to do with business management and practices. And I was listening to somebody on that and suddenly your ad came on and it was a week into the program, but your ad came on. I had been looking at it and looking at it, nothing. And then I saw it and I saw in front of me on the computer, I literally saw why am I resisting something that I know is the next evolution for me? I literally felt it. I 
saw it and I went, I'm doing that. And I just, I didn't think twice. I didn't, while this is going on, and you know, I hate to say it, but that program was going on listening to another program. I went online, I just registered. I just went, I've got to do this now. It's the right time. So it's I so it. Yeah. It's so interesting that your one of your avenues in there to open that door for you sexually and in your body was that acknowledgement of the truth, which I know of which you speak, and it's probably too much to summarize here on the podcast, but this distinction between natural man and woman and then the legal, imaginary, fictitious trap that most people are existing within. And some of our listeners will understand exactly what we mean, and some will maybe need to go down a rabbit hole. But it's interesting that within that, you found that identity. And also interesting in that right now in our world, there's such a you know, it's funny, right? Because that's actually, as you say, like a lawful, natural establishment of identity in that it was so profound for you that it brought you to this place. And that's the very thing that most people are trapped by and have no idea is trapping them. It's like, and there's such a push right now to even move away from the whole idea of man and woman, right? Like male and female don't exist. There's no such thing. And that's just a whatever imaginary it's like, and, and that's such gaslighting and utter bullshit. Right. And especially when you look at it in this dimension as well, like how significant that is and how people have just been so gaslit and eating it up. Right. I always laugh, like feel like there's like one psyop after another and people are just like hope opening up their mouth, like, ah, come in my mouth, ah, like with the next psyop, right? Like, give me more. Ah, can you come on my tits? Ah, give it all to me. Right. So hilarious right and then I'm just being so virtuous like no you're a dumb ass thought so anyway carry on so you're um you take the leap and you sign up and then so at that stage you've had this sort of opening um realization of your identity as a woman and then that's mm-hmm. you know thrust you into like all right that means because it sounds like your history and the trauma that you've experienced like there was obviously this big level of dissociation right like all the symptoms you describe are at like PTSD type symptoms and then this was like the first step of embodiment of like I'm going to be in and own this body which again, I yes. think is the the opposite of what's happening in all these circles of people wanting to cut their body parts off is an utter rejection of being in their body that's now been like normalized, right? Like dysfunction being normalized, like, oh, it's totally normal to cut off all your body parts. No, it's not. So. No. And it's interesting because the thing that actually led for me to get all of that was a realization. Um, we got pregnant and uh, years ago, and when I went in and, and we had a really bad miscarriage, um, and when I went into the hospital, when we got when David took me into the hospital with me screaming, "I don't want to go in," um, while I was going in and out of consciousness. consciousness. She, she she actually. Uh... It wasn't like the fallopian tube, but she ruptured her uterus. She lost two liters of blood. She nearly she nearly died. It was supposed to be keyhole surgery. She ended up on the table for four hours, had a big C-section scar. 
And when I went in and the doctor said what he said, my first thing with the surgeon I said to him was he told me it was keyhole surgery. And I actually said to him, fine, you know, if that is the case, I'll sign. But I actually said, I am not, I'm not authorizing surgery like somebody to cut me open. And I said that. And guess what? They didn't do that. Obviously, they cut me open because I'm still here. But he came back and he knew, he knew because he was the first individual I saw when I came out of um, the anesthetic. And he said, I saved your life. And I was like, what? And then I realized and I said, you didn't have first words after I realized was you did not have permission for that. And he said, said, it, said it again, said, I saved your life. And I was like, it took me five years, four or five years to realize that that incident was tantamount to me being raped again, like I had been as a child. And that really triggered so much because for me, it was like, I didn't authorize that. I didn't consent to that. And you'd taken something that was mine and it's my life. It wasn't yours. Yours was a statistic. That's all you care about as a surgeon is the statistics of that individual lying on that table. You don't give a damn about me. But, and it took forever to realize that what when he had cut, and it's only now that I'm actually starting to realize this fully, that it's not just a physical cut. He cut through all my fields, all my bodies, and I'm, I'm healing that, and it's through the work that you have created, Kim, doing the egg practice, having this, uh, having sex with my husband, but it's not sex, making love to him on a daily basis and doing all of this. I'm healing all my auric fields. I'm allowing it. Every time I come, every time I have this sense of this, this, this buildup and this orgasm, it, it's like it's like the Big Bang all over again. It's like my body repairs and it just goes out into the next field and goes out into the next field and into the next field. And I'm heal and I'm closing all the fractures that have come due to all the pain and suffering that my body has taken on in this lifetime and potentially I don't know how many other lifetimes. And it's just that's how I feel right now. That's that's what for me this work has. And given me access to, it's allowed me to talk to people. It's given me that ability to see um, and to think I came from a space where I couldn't even have him touch me. I couldn't, you know, it's a complete shutdown where we couldn't even be close. I imagine, I think to myself, how the hell did we even um, manage to stay together? Um, I just discovered yesterday from my husband that um, he actually fell in love with me very soon after we got together and he was heartbroken because his teacher, his teacher, which was doing all the work with the Qigong and Nigong and all of that, told him that I was so scarred he shouldn't invest his time and energy. And the poor man broke, but he still stays with me. He was probably right. <laughs> uh. But he still stayed with me. So I'm, yeah, I'm eternally grateful for whatever these, whatever he's given me, but also for the fact that he has been so persistent about you. Eight years, Kim. Eight years. Wow. Wow. Is that like little breakfast notes at the table beside your porridge? Like, 
He was like, Kimonami podcast episode. Like, I would just leave browser windows open on the computer and just let <laughs> podcasts play. You know, all the little subtle manipulative things that one can do. Maybe it like works. the subconscious, yeah, like subconsciously it started to seep in. Like you'd just let the podcast Maybe. play and she'd be hearing it somewhere. Um, so tell me more about how you opened sexually. Like let's say orgasmically Pamela like where were you before in terms of your orgasmic potential and where are you now okay so when I first met David we had incredible sex it was wonderful it was amazing um the issue and it's interesting because it was I was in control I it was all from the masculine It was all directed by me. It was completely me doing certain things and managing it. Now, over the course of our relationship, David has always gone, I wanted to go back to that. I wanted to go and kept going, no, I can't let it go back to that because it it doesn't fit. It doesn't feel right. Then when I did Well-Fucked Woman. Can I um, interject for for just a moment? Does that mean it was more performative for you? Like when you say in the masculine. Do you want to try? Um, sure. Well, she would say that where where I wouldn't because that's not what was going through my mind at the time. But she was she was a, a professional performer anyway. So to an extent, you could say that she was somewhat acting because mm. she could control that. Mm. Very much so. Yes, it was performative. It was um, um, like I knew what. I don't even know how to explain it. I think back to it and I go, it had to do with me. I never surrendered. I never let go. It just did not happen like that. Um, It was all about how it was just sex and that was it. I had no, like, I cared for this individual. I wanted to be more, but I didn't know how to tap into anything about as being a woman or anything like that I didn't know any of that it's all compartmentalized for her but she wasn't even able to articulate that Mm. look Um, I think it's that way for many people and especially women people because I think this idea of surrender right which applies to both men and women but archetypally even more so I think for women their entry point in sexually isn't valued in our culture isn't valued in the world the idea of surrender of opening, letting go, being vulnerable, letting go of control is actually a way to be in more control ultimately. But, you know, in terms of your own autonomy and centeredness within your being, but doesn't perhaps doesn't feel like that in the moment. So it's a very scary place to be. So I think a lot of people adapt a veneer, a persona of, you know, performing, of acting, of even this whole idea of faking orgasms or even faking pleasure or even just not being honest, like going through the motions because that's what you do and there's a certain obligation to be sexual, but there's not much going on underneath that. So I like that you create like we're aware of that and and said you know I don't want to just go back into performing I need to find this from an authentic place within and then you know move from that place yeah and to that effect I never we never needed no 
when we first got together, we never needed to use lube. I've never been one to use lube or anything artificial. Couldn't even go down the route. Like this is how bad the trauma was. I couldn't even go down the route of going and getting a um, vibrator. It wasn't. It was for me. It just wasn't right. It felt wrong to do that. Um, so pretty much I could go without sex for years and it would have been fine. I was a freaking nun. I could have meditated my life into oblivion is how I put it and it would have been fine. Except I like men and I like the company of men and specifically I love my husband. So it made it a little bit hard. Um, but as I journeyed and with you, with yourself, with, with the course specifically, um, what took place was a realization that there was opportunity for me to discover me on another level. And so, you know how when you, when the Welfare Woman course, you have the whole, the first couple of weeks, I said, oh, because I hadn't been in there first week, I said I had to catch up. So I caught up really fast. And then I, you were talking about self-pleasuring and doing all that. I was like, what the fuck am I doing so How the hell am I supposed to I never ever like looked at myself like that or stuck a finger there. And it's really fascinating because we were in um we were in Old Bar in New South Wales near the water. And one of the things we'd done was to go for a walk every day near the water. So I went for a walk and it's funny, I can't find it now, but I found or as we were walking this um rock which was from the ocean, but a rock which was formed like a dildo, which was for the G-spot. I found this on the ocean side and it washed up. So I was like, I picked it up and I went, oh, well, I'm going to use that. And it's interesting because that actually started my sort of let me feel myself and allow because I couldn't allow myself to finger myself or do anything. It felt odd. So I started with that. And then that led to me being able to touch myself and feel it. And then when you talked about the whole G-spot, um, um, yeah, the G-spot salon, you know, where we did all that, um, David actually gave me, well, yeah, he, he fingered me. And I was I, waiting. I was ready. And he gave me this uh, massage and I, this internal massage and I just, everything, it just blew my brain. Oh my God. I went, is that a G-spot? Oh my God, I didn't even know that existed. What the? Okay, there's that whole part. He said, okay, that, that's when he said, okay, you need to feel it. So I actually felt it and I went, oh wow, that feels like this. And that led to me being able to feel that part of me. My finger is not long enough for my cervix, which is fine. But I have a husband, so it's fine. <laughs> but the journey was basically one step at a time. And then when you talked of surrender, and it was interesting because for me, I went, surrender, how does that look? And I just kept saying the words, I surrender, I surrender. Every time we would do something, um, like he would come at me, Dave would come at me and he'd want to kiss me around my neck. And I'm super like, no, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't. And I just got surrender. Let it happen. Let it happen. Let it happen. It's all good. I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering. And I would just realize that, wow, that's really nice. I feel really loved when that happens. I feel quite, I feel safe. That was my big thing. I feel safe. It tipped over from being, I feel safe with him to realizing actually my safety comes from me. Because the moment I feel safe for me, 
and I can hold my own, then I can let go completely and I don't have to control any narrative because now I know that I'm having fun. So it was quite a journey to be able to let that go because every time, and it still happens, sometimes it'll like these walls will come in and I'll, it, it like it almost wants to shut me down and I have to breathe. So now I, I'm doing the, the breathing and, and I, 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 I visualize that and I see it and I just open up and I allow my whole body to open up and I can feel the experience like my body instead of contracting is just expanding out. And I've realized that for me is a critical part because I've contracted my whole life to stay small, to stay protected, to stay safe. But in effect I've done is actually inhibited my expression of me and I've actually not been safe and I've pushed everybody away um, and no one no one's actually gotten to experience me I know I'm a powerful woman but I'm the kind of powerful that people end up getting so scared they have to run the opposite direction kind of thing and so I've had this huge stories running in the background and now I've just gone no, I'm opening up. So that, including that was once I finished your course was me saying, once we get up here, I'm not wearing any more um, pants. I'm not wearing pants unless I go out to physical labor, work in the garden or do something, then I'll wear pants. But I won't wear underwear and I won't wear a bra. And so I've gone out and bought dresses and just kept looking. I've allowed my hair to grow completely again I'm not cutting it as it sees I'm just letting it grow um, I've got a little bit of lipstick and, and a little bit of makeup but nothing huge but I've got that on because of this but otherwise I generally don't wear anything and the amount of things in spite of the chaos that has taken place in our life um, with what has happened is been phenomenal We've we've joined thing we've joined a nation a different nation in Australia. It's, it's something that um, totally out of this world. It's one of the first nations in this country. In well, it doesn't exist in Australia, but it's the original indigenous people. So we've joined that, and we're doing work with them. And um, it's just has opened doors upon doors upon doors. It's unbelievable the amount of doors. Wow. So. That's so incredible to hear. So what, um, David, how would you, you know, share your side of that journey as well? So you're watching her, she's diving into this work, you're perhaps surprised at first and then excited. And so what was that like for you? And then how did you support her in that journey? Because obviously you knew that she had this history of trauma and perhaps even programming what we all have, some of us more deeply than others. And so how did you see your role to help facilitate that? Um, you're saying from when she, from when she uh, participated in Welfare Woman from then? Or? Yeah, when she started the journey of, okay, I'm going to go down this path and look at these things and aim to shift. Initially, initially it was to make sure that she had time and space for herself. So... Um, because it because it had been such a sensitive subject and topic for such a long time, and when she 
finally decided I'm doing this. And when Premier League gives her word to something, it's it's a guarantee she will do it. Her word is her bond. And so I'm like, oh, okay, this is this is happening. And this could turn out really, really good or really, really bad. Um, so it was really just providing a space and just listening for what it was that she needed. As soon as she had, um, I don't know if she was in the midst of the program or she was near the end, she said, I think you should do the men's one. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <clears throat> so I was ready to, ready to dive in uh, straight away. Um, I have a question for you first. Like after years of urging or suggesting or trying to coax her into doing this work, and like you mentioned earlier, the word resigned, right? And then when she did it, was it easy for you to kind of like have the faith or be open? Because some people build up a wall, I think, after there's been a lot of resistance or stagnancy to kind of like, well, whatever. Like they're there, but they're not there. Like they've kind of shut down already. So how, like for you, were you able to be open to, you know, okay, let's see what you said that her word is her bond. So you obviously had this yeah. sense, like she would follow through on doing this, yeah. but what was happening with you internally? Like, were you, did you let yourself be hopeful and excited? Were you just like, let's wait and see, like, how did you feel? I, I think um, I'm a pretty stubborn guy. So if I get hold of something, I typically don't let go. Let's do this. Um, that comes in handy say, for vaginal. That comes in handy for vaginal orgasms. This is also true. Um, it, it, I would say I, I'd like to say that I there was. I was resigned. Um, I think I just held my cards close to my chest. I was. I had no attachment to a result. Because I we'd been through so much and we'd tried so many different avenues and um, and I just I just knew this this will be it this will be it this will here's the magic I could just hear it and um, I think I had got to a point of acceptance that this is well this is just how things are right now um, and I almost. I didn't allow myself to get excited when I knew, oh, she's made this commitment um, because I think I'd had so many expectations and to an extent I would have sort of choked opportunity and possibility and suffocated things. So I really went, oh, this has to be treated so preciously. Um, I had to keep to stay as open as possible but not attached to anything. So I wouldn't actually I wouldn't say I was resigned. I would say I was very centered, like this is a really, a really important thing. Um, yet I would say I was I was tired. I was really tired because of what we've been through for so many years. There was so much trauma and so much upset and as as patient as I used to think I was, um, when you're attempting to deal with something for years and years and years, it wears you down. And I was pretty, I was pretty worn to the point like I was polished shiny. And um, 
But the moment, I think once you've got into it and I've heard those conversations, those conversations that looked light years away that all of a sudden had just started taking place, I was probably shocked more than any, in a good way shocked. And then going through the, uh, the sexual mastery for men, it was surprisingly how much uh, internal conflicts came up for me as well. Yeah. Right. So you you took the SMM course, and then yeah, what were the changes and shifts for you? I think actually keeping me in my body uh, to begin with. So and and just becoming aware of what goes on with a woman's body. So I think I don't remember which week it was, but you emphasized. Before you enter a woman, she should be dripping wet. Where I think, well, it was always, well, is she wet? Yes or no? Because if she's wet, then sure, you can you can have sex. Where the sense of of being connected and letting go of an outcome of orgasm, letting go of an outcome of performance just letting go of so much um, and just to be in your body, uh, make sure that uh, she's in her body and that uh, she's ready to receive you, made sex go from very inconsistent to, oh, I'm, it's almost like when the woman, when, when she was wet, it was like her body was saying, I want you with me now. So then it was like my body would respond and go, okay, well, we can fuck for a long time now. Where prior to that, <clears throat> prior to that, it would be, well, she's not, she's not ready, but I'm going to enter you anyway, and I'm going to last five minutes because it's almost like there's this communication that's taking place between the bodies. In addition, so not only are you not ready, oh well, I don't want to inconvenience you. I'll, I'll be, I'll get this over with quickly. In addition to well, if you're not turned on, then you don't actually want me. You don't desire me. So I'm not loved. So my body doesn't want to be here. So what's it still wants to, to be with you and to, to express that love and that pleasure and that joy. But on a physical level, it's actually not being reciprocated. And it's not that she doesn't want to. It's just that we're not in our bodies and we're not present to what's going on. So it's like... Um, I think a lot of what would be considered as as premature ejaculation is because the whole interaction is done in a premature manner. And when things shifted, I, I it was really I really got present to that uh, that Taoist um, metaphor of women are like water, men are like fire. You have to be you have to have enough fuel in the fire to get that fire cranking. And if you don't, you're just going to, you will burn out like a match. And so that has shifted things so dramatically. Um, there's almost like a sense of once getting past a certain point uh, during, specifically during intercourse, it's almost like there's this, your cock gets this fullness and it's a fullness and it's relaxed at the same time. And it's like this hypersensitivity 
that I would say a lot of guys have with the um, anticipation and they're just overexcited because, oh, she's going to touch it, she's going to touch it. <laughs> um, it. That dissipates and it's like I'm just here. It's almost like it is my job, it is my mission for her to be fulfilled and for her brains to be exploded because it's like it's a medicine. And I get to I get to administer that and, and I also it's reciprocal. And it completely transforms the interaction afterwards. Like it's almost like this whole this whole experience. Um, from where we used to have so much argument and upset, it was actually the presence of passion that was expressed in a destructive manner. Where when that could be brought to the bedroom and it could be expressed in the bedroom, it's creative, it's not destructive. And afterwards, like, and I just remember <laughs> you saying, you know, when your woman nags you, it's because you haven't fucked her properly. And I'm like, that is so true. Uh, and so all that runs through my head now is, oh no, she's carrying on about this. We need to, we need to go upstairs. She needs some medicine. He needs some and medicine. So a lot of medicine. So I love your recognition because I think that even when a woman is in that naggy, bitchy framework, you're thinking like, well, the last thing she wants is to have sex, and consciously perhaps that is true except that underneath the surface what she really needs is to have sex but she's gotten so used to that framework of um I guess pushing you away right pushing away her partner and then the partner responding to that push away him getting irritable and like you said there's this fighting energy that then becomes habitual and all the sexual energy gets channeled into the fighting rather than the fucking and then when we can step out of that with that awareness and then like the recognition of like, oh, she just needs to get really well fucked. She needs my cock in her throat. Like that's what is going to, you know, that's the work around here. And then even for the woman to come to realize that, right? Like, cause at, when people go through my work and then they start to have that vocabulary, they recognize, okay, this is just misdirected sexual energy. This is warped sexual energy we need to redirect it and give it its pure natural expression and that's the way home absolutely yeah and you know he, he has even on occasion turned around of late and said do you need to get some i've gone yes let's please i need that yeah or it's just over the shoulder or it's just off the feet and away we go, no questions asked. Yeah. But there still needs to be uh, there still needs to be some degree of relatedness. Like if there is an issue, it needs to be cleared before before that's a possibility. So it's almost right. like the subtleties in communication start to become more prominent, like they just stand out really clearly. So now we hardly we hardly argue anymore. It has it's been so transformational. And when it does happen, um, we've got so much more time, patience, and ability to let it go, get complete with it. It's just water, it's much more water for ducks back than what it was historically, where it would hang on and linger. Where now, yeah, it's just it's so different. It's a different world. Mm -hmm. So 
your the vaginal orgasms like the g-spot stimulation the cervical orgasms how has that been going this can be edited out later (laughs) um i think the 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 first the first time the first time she had a g-spot orgasm We we we've had to buy these special towels to lie on because we just change the bed all the time. So now we've got we've got to we've got to be strategic about this. We change the sheet once a week. It's interesting the whole thing. So the vaginal orgasms, the G spots are phenomenal. Like oh my god, holy holy moly! It's like my brain. I can't, sometimes it's almost to the point that I forget to breathe because I'm in such a hyper state and I've got to go, keep breathing, keep breathing. So I then do the breathing and it calms it down a bit and then it rises even more and it just keeps tightening. Um, but there is this wetness that sometimes I go, I can't even get myself to the bathroom because there's just so much wetness. So I've had to go put tissues around the place to make sure that I, I can actually wipe myself because it's literally down my thighs. It's ridiculous. Um, as far as the cervical orgasm goes, the first time I had one, I just cried. I literally cried and cried because it was an opening and a cup. And then I have this really interesting thing that happens for me. I start laughing a lot, a ridiculous amount of laughing, like stupid laughing. I can't believe how much laughter there is. Sometimes I start laughing. I can't stop laughing. So he just goes, yeah, she's laughing. And he keeps moving through it and just keeps smacking me for whatever reason, for whatever it is, and it just keeps happening. But um, the cervical orgasm, sometimes it's because we've been at this, this almost um, playfulness where it's been ongoing through the day, when he ends up actually uh, fucking me, it's like, I hit that spot of a cervical orgasm so fast because it isn't like it's a sudden we're having sex. It's actually building and building and building and building and building. And it's it might be like the third or fourth time we've actually had sex in the in the day, and that's when I actually hit it. So it's like my body is just building She's this primed. energy. Yeah, I'm primed <laughs> to have you this the third or fourth time that you've had sex during the day. Yes. So you guys are delightfully making up for lost time. We are delightfully. We have a commitment. <laughs> we we do we do have a real commitment, and because I've discovered, for me, I've discovered. Oh my god, this is so much fun! I love having him in me. I want that. I um, never wanted to. I've always had, like I said, the yuckiness about it being the whole OCD thing. I've never been able to go near anything um, wet or slimy and any of those things. So I couldn't have, I couldn't give him a blowjob. It wasn't even in my book. It wasn't. Every time he'd say, can you go down on me? But like, no, why? What for? And it just wouldn't make me uncomfortable. And now I do it. As much as I can, I do it. And it's a, it's like, okay, 
I try my hardest. I'm still getting over certain things. It took a while for me to get the whole deep throating, but I am getting, I'm definitely getting that. I figure if I practice, that's the best way. Um, to the point where I'll set it up that I want to have him do that and he's and even have him uh, what was it lie on top of me so that he's actually so he can actually navigate that process so I'm lying back and he can navigate it I find that a big turn on a really big turn on it's like holy moly um having him do that having I've even we've even talked of the whole um Say it, anal sex, all of that, all of that's now open for conversation. We've had anal sex once, and we've, we're still in the exploration of that and having that. But yes, but sometimes it is three to four times a day where it's just fun activities instead of making it long and arduous. It's not five minutes, but it's not hours and hours. But if we do have sex, It'd be 30 minutes, 35 minutes, and then we'll stop and we'll actually pull back instead of allowing the orgasm to fully take place. By this stage, I would have already had a G-spot orgasm and some other like levels of at least two or three cents of feeling totally like my body's filled. And then he pulls out and then we do it again and then we do it again. And by the time the evening comes and we've done it the last time, yes, I've hit that cervical orgasm to the point where I'm like, oh my God. I just, yeah. So you're using, yeah, this approach of using these simmering sexual encounters as a type of foreplay. You're obviously having sex and intercourse and having different levels of orgasm, but it's building to a higher and higher crescendo by the time you hit the third or fourth experience. Meaning you don't, because yeah. I think a lot of people... In, who maybe aren't aware of this idea of Tantra and the expansive orgasm and what I talk about this sexual simmer, it's a very delineated like start, build, contractions, orgasm, decline of energy, and that's it. Rather than this experience where you build, you plateau, you build, you plateau, you build, you plateau, and you never really have to drop off. And so you're living at this level, this, what I call the sexual simmer of an eight or a nine all the time. And so, as you say, then these orgasms are much more available to us because we're not starting from cold to get to boiling. We're starting at a, at a high simmer and going over the edge yes. at that point is really easy. And that, and that partly is why I'm perpetually wet because I am perpetually in this, in this state. It's like, the littlest so thing sometimes, yeah. The littlest thing like what? Oh, the littlest thing like sometimes when David will just, um, plus, uh, well, sometimes David will just kick me on my bum or slap me on my bum as I'm walking past and it's almost like I'm going to come right there, just there. <laughs> Didn't you have a problem? Pamela, you wanted to not wear panties so much, but then you found that you were like getting wet all over the place. And so you had this dilemma, yes. like, how do I not wear panties when I'm wet all the time? Which is what has been occurring. And I've just gone, yeah, I'm not wearing pants. That was my word. I'm not wearing panties. It makes it, I wore it. Like I tried after the, after you said, okay, wear some, wear, wear some panties and take a, a pair with you if you feel like that. So I tried and all I could feel was my panties and it was like hitting into me and I just felt uncomfortable and was like I wasn't available. I felt like I'd shut the door. 
I don't know how else to explain it. I just felt like I put this thing and shut the door and it was uncomfortable. So I went back to not, not wearing that. And if that means I just carry a bit of tissue with me, I'll carry a bit of tissue with me wherever I go and that's fine. Or because actually doing the uh, VKF, what has occurred is I've actually been able to, yes, I'm wet, but I've actually been able to contract and, and hold myself a little bit more in and, and that's actually helping me. I know I'm wet, but it's not dripping down my leg or doing any of those things. So that's a good it. thing. So there you go. That Amazing. would be why I would personally on that. That would be the VKF to do because at least that gives you the um, physical capabilities of knowing where your body's, what's happening in there. I love it. Yeah. So David, do you have any, Pramila's shared these great breakthroughs and um, ascensions in her sexual evolution and transformation. Do you have anything else that you'd like to share from your perspective that's happened to you on your sexual journey? I, th I think I'm actually very surprised how comfortable I am with absolutely everything. Um, there's still areas we have not ventured and I'm sure that I will reach my limits <laughs> eventually but um, I would say that it's systemically penetrating all other areas of life actually so since we've moved and I don't know if it's just that we've come to an area where there's like-minded people but we've probably made more contacts and friends I would call them friends in the last Five, five months than we had when we did where we lived seven years prior. Um, and all of a sudden, regarding work, there's all these amazing opportunities that have just manifested into my space. And I'm like, my wife needs to keep having sex with me every day because whatever is going on is going to transform uh, the way that we make money or manifest wealth or anything along these lines so there's um two really big projects that um, i'm involved in and they're kind of hindered by the weather right now because we're still at the tail end of the wet season and it, a lot of it has to do with infrastructure projects um i but i just i can't believe the opportunities that have presented themselves in such a short period of time where it's just felt like it wasn't a drought for years and years and years. And it still hasn't come to complete fruition, but just the impacts that it has is astounding. And I, and I and it has to be relevant to this because the timing is is perfect. It's all happened all at the same time. Well, you just mentioned a drought that's been happening for years, and now Premila is gushing like no tomorrow and, <laughs> and watering and fertilizing all of these projects with her vagina. So it does sound very connected. Hmm. Um, well, I guess following on from that, then with regards to the, the male practices, I didn't even realise that initially I would always be thinking about thinking about sex uh, to get turned on, as opposed to being able to just be present with myself to to, to get to get hard to do the practice. 
and there was always something external um, and, and it didn't even cross my mind that that was the case where now I don't know if I interpreted it wrong but I recollect you saying just just do the practice it wasn't it was never big into porn anyway um, try not to think of things out like maybe use something that you've done with your partner as an instigator to, to get to turn you on to fire you up but otherwise try and self-generate and I think it was it was a bit confronting how well this is my body this is my vehicle and I I'm it's actually external things that, that have control over me as opposed to me being able to generate that myself anyway and where to begin with it was I, I it was quite confronting and I was I was quite down about it going how the hell do I not think about something else and stay hard for like 40 minutes to an hour while I'm trying to do I'm trying to do self-pleasuring practice to build endurance and to discover all the different layers of sensitivity and the different feelings um, and stimulants that, that one can have. And even how uh, unconsciously I would do things, like how the mind would drift off and think about completely irrelevant things. I think it's like one of the complaints that, that guys have about women, like they're having sex and the guy's not present to what's going on through his room whatsoever and still so starts thinking about, did you bring a dog in the house? <laughs> the guy's just, just, just pumping away absentmindedly. Um, it was almost like having that experience by myself. I could feel my mind drift off during the practice where it was really just me avoiding dealing with whatever the, the conflict and the incompletions were there. Um, so as a man, I think that one of the most important things is your opinion and your, your opinion doesn't mean shit. Just do the practice. Just do the work. Yes, you need to be in your body and be present to what's going on, but forget about your past, forget about anything that hasn't worked, forget about anything that has worked. Just drop it all and just do the practice. Your opinion is irrelevant because if it was relevant, you'd already be a stud and you'd be able to smash your woman for hours as it is and you wouldn't need to do the practice. So have you been able to keep up with Premila in her new awakened state? She tells me, she asks me to stop. She goes, I can't do it anymore. Because I know I'm about to go over the edge and I don't want to go over the edge. Because when she can't get, when she's, when she's getting up and, her, and she can't stand properly and she, uh, her legs are shaking, it's, it's enough. Um, there's times where it's, where I've, I've failed and I've been, I've been taken over the edge, but that's all just a part of the learning. Like, uh, otherwise, no, I can keep up. <clears throat> no problem. He's had to go back to doing exercise, as I have as well. Oh, we've been yeah, cardio naturally. <laughs> we just burn <laughs> out. Or have, I'm having to start start to lift weights uh, to work on my my art, my glutes, my ass, my glute muscles burn out. I or love I'm this. So you guys are you guys are training so that you can have better sex. You're going to the gym, yes. you're doing more cardio to have better sexual stamina. Kind of using the sex as the excuse for the cardio, but definitely working on the, the, the muscle 
Yes. We've had to. Because, like, I I needed to work my cord so that I could actually hold certain positions and not get tired and do all those things. Well, it's very important. And, um, yeah, so it has been that. Um, he asks for help. He doesn't say it because he doesn't even realise. So think about it later. One of the biggest changes that has occurred for David through this in the last few months is that it's not me, but he's actually asked, he's actually reached out to other men and asked for help. He has never had other men in his life the way he has now. Like he has a circle of men he's working with. That has never happened before. It's always been women that he's worked with. And now he's got men. Yeah, that could be, I think, I mean, an environment change, but also the field that, that I was in was dominated, was dominated by women. But um but yeah, I, I just I struggle to ask guys for help. But now and that could be anything, whether it's doing some work on the property or just to have a, a really open and frank conversation with now it's like, no, just help me. No problem. Excellent. Pamela, are you comfortable sharing what some of the things that you had said that your grandmother had said to you? I can share that. I'm more than happy to. It's um so when when some when when the um abuse took place, it was for a start, the abuse took it, it was a family-based abuse, unfortunately, not my mom and dad, but yeah. But my and I was a I was a kid, and it wasn't just me, it was me and my brother. But when she walked in and she dis, she literally discovered what was taking place, she saw it, and you'd think as a as a grown-up that you would um you would make the individual who's doing it to these kids wrong. No, she made me, being the elder of the two kids, wrong. And she basically told, said to me that I was, uh, I was a devil girl. I was a whore. I deserve to be punished. I'm um, absolutely filthy. What kind of thinking were you allowing this kind of thing? I was six years old. I didn't know any different. Um, she then said to me that I was, and this was in another language, so it's it, I'm translating as well. Um, but basically, she then kept going about, and then she picked me up and pulled me to my mom and dad's room because my mom and dad were away. And she they, she pulled me to my mom and dad's room, and um, and I didn't know what had happened at all. And I was actually bleeding down there, and she turned around and she said to me. You deserve this. This is what happens when you misbehave and you have you're a filthy girl. You will never you don't deserve any love. And then she prodded and probed further. And then she turned around and said that I had to keep it a secret because if I didn't keep it a secret, then I would destroy, then my father would leave my mother and um, I would destroy everything and it would all be my fault. It will always be my fault. And that. Was and then she walked out of the room and I was left there crying and my and then and then she told us to forget and keep it a secret so it became a secret it was completely shut down I had no idea where my brother was at that point and then it all disappeared and it disappeared into oblivion until it woke itself up again which it woke wow. itself up with my brother 
a lot earlier in life, unfortunately, um, because there was no compounding, and this is how stupid the system is. The, the whole, this is part of the reason as a scientist and in the world of the medical world, I, I just go, what a load of rubbish. The medical field is a load of rubbish because my brother woke up to this. He shared it with mom and dad. I'm a, Papa never said anything wrong. We, he actually wanted to know what was going on. My mom said that couldn't have happened. Um, I didn't know because I didn't remember. My brother was 16, 17 years old. Anyway, um, when he got to university and this was still bugging him, he failed his first semester. They told him to go see a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist put him on huge amounts of drugs on a constant basis, circling through three different types of drugs and diagnosis. That eventually led to my brother having a heart attack and passing away. Whoa. And wow. the psychiatrist's whole thing that was that my brother must have had um, sexual deviancies in himself and was thinking he was gay because he had been, uh, he was thinking about a man. And it was like, are you insane? Somebody comes to you with sexual abuse and you tell them that they're the. Yeah. So, wow. yes, it impacted a great deal and it shut me down because I felt totally, and you can imagine I was 21 when that happened. I felt completely responsible for it. I took it on like it was my fault. And I only realized years later that I took it on as my fault because I was responsible because of what had been spoken to me by my own grandmother all those years ago because she told me it was my fault. I was responsible for this. She told me I was a whore and I was filthy and I was dirty and it tied it up together and um, it kept playing again and again and again through my entire life to the point where even though I um, I never wanted to have kids because I felt I would fuck them up and I would make a mess of things. So every time I got pregnant, I, I it, it would end up, getting aborted or I'd end up having a miscarriage of some nature because my body just rejected it. And uh, yeah, I totally stuck to that one up for myself. I shut the door on life and um, didn't know why I was shutting it until I woke up to the memory of it in full technicolor. And then I just wanted it to shut down. So I am very, very grateful for the fact that this work, what you do, how you say what you say, that you are on the same page, both from the um, uh, nutrition as well as the medical and all those points of view. Because I go, if we don't take ourselves and seriously and we don't take responsibility for our own healing, then we are doomed. Because... There is no way out there they're going to help you heal. They're just going to perpetuate you to keep um, feeding the system. And it's, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I have such compassion for your story and admiration for your strength. And, and just like sadness and shock for the gaslighting, right? Like one after another, the level of gaslighting from family to institution 
And then the impact of that, right? Like the impact of that level of trauma and gaslighting to lead your brother to his death. And then for you to have the repercussions in your own life. And then for you, by whatever grace, to find a pathway out and through, and then to have the courage to walk that path is incredibly inspiring. And then, you know, to hear the context of your history and then, you know, lay that against your sharing of like the, like PTSD or OCD, or even the word filthy, right? Like when you talk like that word being, or that it, in however it translates from that language, but being uttered by your grandmother and leveled at you. And then what you describe around your feelings of things being unclean, you know, like we just see how much these traumatic events can affect us and then you know that there is there's always a way out but yeah it becomes a lot fucking harder when you've got people deliberately like sending you on detours and gaslighting and lying to you and throwing you in different directions right when you actually get a realization you're like okay I've, I've seen it and then even then you're not done right like people are still people <laughs> and institutions are still trying to like send you in different directions and like it's a maze that it's a miracle it's and such a testament to your strength and courage for you to make it out and through that and then for you guys to create this incredible relationship and thriving wild bond where your sexuality now becomes your salvation and I think that's one of the hardest transitions for anyone to make who's had any level of trauma, whether it's the programming that we get or like much more significant and deeper trauma like that, that you've sustained to then make it through where, you know, to believe that this thing, and I, I honestly think that's why sex is weaponized so much is because it's such a wild 180 to make that this thing, which was so injurious can then actually be your salvation and your transformation and your pathway to yourself and to God right? Because that's a huge thing to overcome, to rewire that in ourselves, right? It's bodily, sexually, spiritually, psychologically. So I really so salute your courage and your tenacity and your, you know, self-love to have come to these places. And I thank you both so much for letting us into your world to hear this because it's so powerful to hear that tryout for me it's really simple um i've had trauma and i've some somewhat gotten the fact that the world we live in i don't think there's anybody that hasn't had some level of trauma it depends on the extent and it then depends on how much we wish to see it or see ourselves as a victim of that trauma and whether we are entitled to all of it or we're not. I mean, that's that's a whole layer of conversation. But when you realize that the trauma has happened and you can choose to live your life powerfully and not be at the mercy of it, um, then that's where the shift, I think, occurs, where you can take back your life for yourself. And um, I would never have guessed. I mean, the trauma that's, so the saddest part for me is the trauma that I've experienced, I've chosen to go, it's going to end with me. 
because this is not just a trauma that my brother and I experienced. Sadly, it's also generational. It's happened to, yeah, it's happened. And nobody has dealt with it completely to closure, to completion. I believe we live in a time where that is the opportunity we have with people like yourself who are willing to go down an avenue where it's, you know, and, and to be able to share the information you have gathered over your lifetime learning. Um, and sure, there's a stigma, but it doesn't matter. The stigma is always going to be there. It's just, are you going to put that relevance to it? And, or are you going to step up and go, my expression of who I am today is going to be determined by me, not by anybody else, not by what has happened to me, not by what can happen to me, but by me now. Um, and to that, I would encourage anyone who listens to this to do the salons, to grab it, do it. Don't just do it. Don't just sit on the fringe of saying, I'll do something. Do it and actually throw yourself into it. Like make it your life's mission because this is your healing. This is your, this is your medicine. Don't expect someone out there to come with some solution in a bottle that's going to give you the medicine. This, your medicine lies in your hands. That's how I would look at it. And I think that's what's given me the strength to get up every day, um, face what I need to face, and keep moving forward. Yeah. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you, Pramila. Fantastic. Thank you both. I so appreciate you sharing your story and evolution with us. How amazing is their story? Hearing Premila go from what happened to her from where she is now, so inspiring. I love being able to share these stories with you to show you that wherever you are, there is always a solution at your genitals. And if you show up, commit and put in the work and the play, you will find it. Speaking of which, the Coming Together for Couples Salon opens for registration next week. This is my premier online program for showing you how to come together emotionally and sexually. In the meantime, you can sign up for a seven-day sex cleanse. This mini program starts as soon as you register for it. You will receive an email each day with a lesson to view and then assignments, which will be a blend of emotional connection exercises and tantric practices. Go to kimanami.com, click on sexual savant salons, and then click on coming together for couples. And that's where you will find the sign up for the sex cleanse. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe and also leave a review and send someone else the gift of a healthy libido and an off the charts love life by sharing this episode with them. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, many happy orgasms.